Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible and a pad of paper and a pen. Let's dive in. Well, church family, it's good to be with you. As you can see, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, you could probably see in here. I thought I would be good. I was literally in bed almost all week. Um, <clears throat> I thought my throat would be better by the time we got to Sunday. And obviously, it's not. So if you're curious, um, you may hear an annoying noise come out of my mouth. And it's not just my words. It's I'm going to suck on cough drops if that's okay. As Pastor Brandon said, we're going to be real and authentic this morning. I'm going to preach with cough drops in my mouth. I'm sorry. Hopefully online, they can make my voice sound normal for you that are watching online. Um, man, we're on part. These are heavy. We're on part three. (laughs) We're on. I promise we're going to get through it. Don't worry. The Lord's got a short message. He knew I was going to be facing this. We are on part three of our ER series, which stands for emotionally healthy and holy relationships. This is part three. Relationships in all aspects of life, whether we're married or dating, whether we have relationships with our neighbors and coworkers, our family, our friends, our classmates, our teammates. We are all in this together. I've titled this message today, How Do I Resolve Conflict? And we're going to look in the gospel according to Matthew. So if you've got your Bible or tablet or phone, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 12. It's the very first book of the New Testament. <clears throat> so you're going to find four guys right there, about two-thirds of your way through your Bible, four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They write about the gospel, the life, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's awesome. Here's some cool things about Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was there. Jesus sought after Matthew and said two of the most important words when it comes to following after Jesus. Jesus comes to Matthew and he says, follow me. And that's really the heart of discipleship is for you and I to be students of our Savior, our Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he's the anointed one. Christ is not his last name, by the way. It means anointed one. All right. Uh, Matthew's cool too. Matthew uses a phrase that the other gospel writers don't use as much. And let me just Bible geek with you for a moment. So Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven in his gospel. He does not use the phrase kingdom of God in his gospel. Here's one of the reasons why. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to the Jews. And within Judaism, you do not say God's name because it's too holy and sacred. So that's why, knowing his audience, he uses kingdom of heaven and not kingdom of God. Or some of the other writers will use kingdom of God, not kingdom of heaven. So, there's your Bible trivia for the day. File that. Who knows when you'll use it again, but there it is, all right? Before we jump in, I just, 
I want to take a quick reminder for us that are doing the vow renewal this Friday at 7 p.m. So you dress up as fancy as you want, dress up as casual as you want, just don't wear SpongeBob SquarePants pajamas to this thing. That's all we ask, okay? That's all, all right? So 7 o'clock, don't forget about it, and an email will come out. Before we jump into Matthew, how many of us today, by a raise of hands, let's do a little participation here, grew up in a family that's dysfunctional? Yeah. How many of you are currently in that family right now? (laughs) Right? You know, there is no that perfect family. Right, if we all were honest and we look back, we may be grateful for family. Family may have hurt us, but all family is dysfunctional because we live in a sinful, broken world. And we are byproducts of that result as far as how we respond to things. And sometimes the flesh gets the best of us and not the spirit of God that needs to grip our hearts. And so we all grew up with dysfunction. What's interesting when it comes to conflict is How we grew up affects how we handle conflict. Maybe perhaps what we were taught or how we saw those who took care of us. And we saw that behavior, so then we mimic that as adults or as kids or teenagers that are in the room. You may realize I mimic my parents and how they handle conflict. I want to show you real quick the 10 most common ways on how we handle conflict. Now, As I show you these 10, there'll be two slides, five on each. Please, please do not elbow your neighbor and say, this is you. This is how, save that for lunch in about 30 minutes, okay? Just don't do that right now. Let's look at five. Here's the first five. Some of you handle it by just get it off my chest. You just vomit your frustration, right? Some of us, we give the silent treatment, in the midst of conflict. What's wrong? Nothing. And we don't want to just talk about it. Uh, Gunny sacking. Store it up until you just burst. Uh, Or you escape. You escape conflict by drinking, uh, by spending, by eating, by binging, whatever you binge on. Some of us, we recall old lists. Well, remember when you did... So this morning, before I got here, I went to my wife with this list... I said, which one am I? She goes, I only have to choose one. I was like, yes. And then she's like, all right. She's looking at this slide. I'm like, well, don't take too long because I got another slide to show you still. She's like, I think you're two or three. And I probably lean more a little towards silent treatment. And then she gets to this slide and reads number six and says, pretend it never happened. We're fine. She goes, now I can see that in you too. I was like, good. So I'm three of the 10. This is great. <laughs> Some of us, and this is horrible. And this is, if this is what you do, I'm not condemning you. We just got to be super careful. Sometimes we confide in our kids because all we're looking for is support, but we're looking for support in the wrong people. And we're involving our kids now into our, perhaps if you're married, into the way we do our marriage. Listen, your kids should, should see healthy conflict resolution, but you should never tie your kids into the conflict. And some of us, that's where we go. So you don't feel alone in the conflict. You get the kids on your side. Some of us, we play the blame game. 
If you were here in week one, I said, look, we got to stop living in broken Eden. Stop blaming, right? It's your fault I feel this way. And we just point fingers first. Some of us, we vent with your friends rather than solve with your spouse. Please hear this. I think I could say now, we vent with our friends or we vent through Facebook or social media looking for support rather than going to the person we're in conflict with and having a face-to-face conversation. See, many of us realize there's good things about social media where you can stay connected with loved ones who live far away, but there is high danger because we can spew on Facebook, type what we want, sit back, close it, and have no accountability for it, but then look at all the comments to make sure I feel good about what I put out there. And it will bring danger. Don't vent on social media. That is not the proper place if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus. It is not social media. And it's dangerous. And we'll go there looking for support because you're angry at your spouse, you're angry at your neighbor. We're gonna vent our frustration about our neighbor on social media. We gotta, we gotta be emotionally healthy disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. Listen, you'll never do it on your own. You need the power of Holy Spirit in you. <laughs> you can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. I'm a jerk without the Spirit of God. I absolutely am. My flesh will win. I will be very selfish. My flesh will win. But I need the Spirit of God to transform me into the likeness of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And then I don't need to go to social media. I don't even need it. That the, the, the Lord has buried that in my life, that that's not even a place I think to go to vent. I don't even need that. Come on now. Okay. Some of us, number 10, you've got a party of one. It's called a pity party. I'm good at that too. I know I'm actually really good at that. What I want to do this morning is just take a brief time with you. We're not going to be too long today. It'll be one of the shorter messages. I want us to look at the words of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What does he have to say about conflict? Because we're all on level playing ground today, whether we're a Christian or a non-Christian. We all have conflict You have conflict with family. You have conflict with spouse. You have conflict with the person you're dating. You have conflict with friends and coworkers and teachers. You have conflict. What I want to do is, what would this look like? What would our conflict look like if we were to view it from the vantage point of the gospel? Because oftentimes, Christian lean in, brother, sister, lean in. You're more discipled about by the world than you are the word. And we look more like the world in our conflicts than we do by what Jesus Christ and the writers of scripture say we ought to handle conflict. And so what does it look like? And here's, we got to understand the gospel is for us today. Many of us view the gospel, this good news, the life about who Jesus, what he came to do. Many of us view it as past justification and a future destination. You view Jesus as, I said that one prayer that one time, and I'm good, right? I said it when 
last month in church, or I said it when I was a little kid, like, I'm good. And then eventually, one day, I'll go to a place in heaven, because I don't want to go to hell, so I like that idea better. So I want to go there, but I don't view the gospel from the moment I made a decision to the day that God takes my last breath here on earth. We have to start viewing the gospels that met between those two points. That the gospel is meant for right here and right now. It's not meant for the moment of a prayer salvation. And it's not just meant for a future destination with all eternity in heaven. That the gospel is good news right here and right now. And it helps us. It's a way of seeing things as Christ saw things. It's a way of interpreting the world and how we handle things the way Christ handled things. It's a guide for our understanding into the way of Jesus. It's for the now. So what does Jesus have to say about conflict and some of the other writers of God's word? Buckle up, let's go. Matthew 12. This is Jesus' words. Either make the tree good and its fruits will be good or make the tree bad and its fruits will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So far, very simple, Jesus. Right? We get that. We go out to an orchard. How do you know that's an apple tree? Come on, this is it. I mean, this is, uh, I think a kindergartner can answer this question. How do you know? It has what? Because you look at the fruit, right? You know that. I mean, you and I don't have to go into botany and go and look at the bark striations or look at the every other bud or how the limbs are gone to determine, oh, that's an apple tree. No, you and I go and look at the fruit. We understand. Ah, there it is. How do you know an oak tree? The oak tree's got acorn, right? We know trees by its fruit. Jesus says, you're going to know people by their fruit. They're either going to have good fruit or bad fruit. And you'll know what kind of people they are. And I'm sure the audience of Jesus is like, yeah, this is good, Jesus. And then he goes, you're a brood of vipers. The very next words. By the way, this is not a, a good terms of endearment right here, Jesus is saying. He says, listen, how can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the what? Jesus is saying, you have bad fruit. You know how I know? Because of what's in your heart. I know you think you're speaking good. But what really matters is what's here. He says a good person produces good from the things from within the storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from the storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. I don't know about you, but that's one of those ouch statements for me. Because especially when tension comes between people and I'm in conflict, I think sometimes I say careless things. 
I don't always say the right thing. And Jesus is saying, listen, on judgment day, you're going to help. You're going to be held accountable for everything. Every word that leaves your tongue, you're going to be held accountable for. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. See, what I love and appreciate about Jesus is giving us an understanding of the words in our tongue. Because the state of our hearts can be seen through the words we speak. In other words, to say it, our tongue reveals our inner character. And how many of you know when you get into a conflict with your spouse or that coworker, there's sometimes words that come out that you wish you would have never said. And you step back and if you could clearly see, you would go, man, my heart just wasn't well in that moment. It just wasn't well. That's why I said that. Because it's easy to self-justify words, isn't it? Because when we're in conflict, here's what we do. I don't like being hurt. And the conflict feels like it's pain and hurt and I don't like entering into it. And then we fight with words as a form of protection. Not as a form of, God, maybe what they have to say to me you really are going to show me something about what's going on inside of me. For James, the brother of Jesus, writes a letter, and we have it today in your Bible. It's called James. Aren't you grateful we didn't come up with like too many crazy words for all these? Like, very simple. I know who the author is. James, got it. Here's what James says. For we all stumble in many ways. Turn to your neighbor and say, amen. (laughs) Watch this though. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature. Did you hear that? What I love about this verse right here is a mark of spiritual maturity are the words we speak. A mark of spiritual maturity are the words we speak. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature. And then he goes on. Oh, here's what's crazy. We stumble by what we say. Here's what's really unnerving sometimes about the words and the power of our tongue is we have an opportunity to sin with our tongue. And we'll sin through anger and what we do with anger in conflict Remember, anger is not sin. It's what you do with the anger. And oftentimes when you're in conflict with someone, what you want to do is protect yourself. And now you're mad at them. So words come out and we attack them. We criticize, we gossip, we slander. We're just cruel with our tongue. And then James goes on, he says, Yeah, a mark of spiritual maturity are the words you speak, but he says, listen, you're able also to control the whole body. That's the good news. That without the empowerment of Holy Spirit in our lives, you'll never control your tongue. But God's greater than your tongue. And you'll be able to control your whole body. You mean I don't have to say what comes to my mind? No. You can say, God, hold that back. 
The spirit sometimes will rob you. I don't know if you, I've had this before where I want to battle back because it feels like the person I'm in conflict put me in a corner. And my natural response in a corner is I got to get out of this corner. Anyone else? And so what am I going to do? In order to get out of the corner, I'm going to beat you in words because you backed me into a corner. Now I need to get out as a form of protection. But I have had moments where the spirit just arrests my words and says, no, 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 no. I'm like, come on, please, no. And it's that submission. Now I'm going to tell you, it's a beautiful thing to be baptized and influenced by the spirit of God. It's a beautiful thing in your walk with Christ. Every day it's a new feeling. I need it. So do you. James continues. He says, now he gives us an illustration of animals. Now, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we can direct their whole body, right? You guys know that little bit that the horse puts in his mouth and now we pull on the reins, right? We can control the animal. And he says, and consider ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by that very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue, the tongue is a fire. And unfortunately, when you and I were kids, we bought into one of the greatest lies as a kid could ever buy into. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. No names hurt deep. And James is saying, be careful what your tongue does. Just like a small spark can ignite an entire forest on fire, your tongue can do it. And you know, words can hurt for a lifetime. You know that. Some of you right now are thinking of those words that that teacher said to you when you're in elementary school or what your mom and dad said, a coach said to you, we know that. And the scary thing is the number one way we battle conflict is with our tongue. And James continues, he says, a tongue, look how he describes the tongue, the tongue, a world of unrighteousness is placed among our members it stains the whole body, sets the course on life on fire, and it is, or and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow, come on. So far, this message is just punching me left and right. And I really need to sit back and go, what are the words I say to people? What are the words when I get into a conflict with my spouse? What do I actually say? A theologian and author, author Donald Burdick says this, it is though all the wickedness in the world were wrapped up in that little piece of flesh. Wow. And the Bible has a ton to say about our tongue. Uh, Proverbs is a great book of wisdom. Listen, I just grabbed three quick Proverbs to show you what our tongue can do. It's not only we heard what Jesus has said, and James, the brother of Jesus, says, look at what Proverbs says. 
in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Do you see? Our tongue brings death or life to people. And it's so easy when we're in conflict in the heart of it to bring death upon someone because we don't like how it's making us feel. Back into James, he continues on with this tongue. He says that, listen, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Jeez. But he speaks truth. You can't tame the tongue by yourself. God is mightier than your tongue. He's mightier. Come on. He's greater than when that tongue wants to get loose and lash out at someone. The spirit of God in you. May he awaken and pull the reins of your tongue back and go, whoa, 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 child. Whoa, 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 whoa. We don't need to say that. And then James does a compare and contrast. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same spring? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. He uses this illustration of fresh water and salt water. I'm going to stir this salt water. I feel like with my throat right now, I should be gargling this stuff right here. I'll tell you, gargling salt water, it's great. But man, it's like one of the worst things ever. Feel like you're waterboarding yourself. James is saying, listen, you can't curse other people. You have salt water coming out of your mouth. And sit there in the same tongue, be fresh water, and praise and glorify God. Your tongue can't do both. He says, there are odds. You want to know how to handle conflict. You have to understand, number one, our tongues should glorify and edify. Our tongues should glorify and what? Number one, glorify God. Number two, edify to build up others around us. To build up those that are our spouses and our neighbors and our, and where we live, work, and play. Everyone. We ought to be encouraging one another. Instead, we fight with our tongue. We tear down. I love this. This is so fun. A woman came to John Wesley. And she said, John Wesley, I know what my talent is. And John Wesley was really excited to hear. He's like, well, yeah, tell me. And she said, 
I believe my talent is from God is to speak my mind. To which John Wesley looks at this woman and says, I don't think God would mind if you buried that talent. Our tongue should glorify and edify. Even when you're pitted against someone in conflict, does your tongue glorify God? And is it actually building the other person up? And here's the issue. You know what we like to do? This one's mine. Because this one protects me. It's self-justification. I don't like the way I feel right now. I don't like the hurt and pain I'm in in my life. So when I'm in conflict, the way I feel, it's like my comfort blanket. It's the only thing I know is just to lash out. I'll tear down as long as it makes them less than what I'm feeling right now. And James and Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. This is not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is this is what should be coming out of your tongue, out of your mouth, out of your lips is right here. Number one are the words that you're saying, edifying God or glorifying God. Number two, is it edifying the person across from you that you're in conflict with? For Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.29. This is great, by the way. Anyone else like just super convicted? Or am I solo man? (laughs) Ephesians 4.29. Just let this top sentence sit in. I'm not even going to say anything. No foul language should come from your mouth. That's to us in the faith. No foul language should come from your mouth. But only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. No Foul language, brother, sister in Christ, no foul language should come from your mouth. And then the very next verse, in relationship to what our tongue is saying, he says this, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. Your words can grieve the Spirit of God that is living inside of you. There's two things you and I can do to the spirit. You can grieve him and you can quench him in your life. Our words have the power to grieve the spirit of God. And when you lash out or say that foul language or whatever, it's like the spirit going, no, 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 no. And why? Because the spirit of God always points us to Jesus. And that's what he's saying. That is not Jesus. It's almost like the spirit weeping in your heart going, no, 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 don't do that. You're grieving me because you were supposed to be transformed into Jesus Christ. That's not him. For even Jesus understands it. And he says this in Matthew 15, 11. It's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth 
That defiles a person. Let me ask you, when you're in conflict, does your tongue glorify God and edify others? Or does your tongue want to fight? Here's my last one. You want to learn how, how, to, how you and I should have conflict? It's right here. This table here. But listen for it. Ready? Did you hear it? Listen again. Listen. Did you get it? The problem is we don't get it because we're too busy talking. We're too busy wanting to defend ourselves in the midst of conflict. When number two, what this table represents, nothing's on it. Why? Because you are to say nothing. You are to give ears to hear. You are to give ears to what? Yeah, we don't like that, do we? You know why? It feels like I got to take it. I don't like to take it. Because I don't like the way it makes me feel. What would happen if we just say, Spirit of God, is there truth in what this person's saying right now that you can use in my heart? James nails it in his first chapter. He says, brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We don't like that. Because we want to defend. We don't like the way it feels. We just want to talk and speak over them now. And we want to come and butt up against it, say, you're wrong. What happens if we just zip it and go, you might be right. Let me hear what you have to say. Here's what I know about listening. Listening demands you get past yourself. And oh, does Philippians 2 get at the heart? Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. What would happen if we actually did that? I think we would have emotionally healthy and holy relationships where we live, work, and play. If we just did nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider, but in humility, consider, look at this, others as more important than yourselves. Ouch! Worship team, make your way up. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. If you're honest right now, do you listen with intent on hearing the interest of the other person across from you? Or do you listen so you can rebuttal right back at them? There's a close. I was in seminary working on my master's degree. And I took a class. I didn't like the class, but I had to take it. It was called pastoral counseling. I didn't like it because we had a... (laughs) We had to read this dumb book all about how we have to listen. 
And I was like, oh, great. You know, I'm just going to do it just to, you know, it's part of the class. I have to do it, but I'm not going to do it to like let it soak in, you know, just, let's just skim it. Let's just get through it. And in that book, there's a piece of paper you had to tear out and fold it into like a triangle sandwich looking thing. It was the dumbest thing ever. And in it, it was two-sided. One side said talking. The other side said listening. I was like, all right, where's this going? And my professor said this, that's your assignment. When you're in conflict, get it out, put it on the table. And I want the side that says listening to face you. I want the side that says talking to face the one that you're in conflict with. I said, all right, I'm, you know, just going through the motions of the class. You know, I'm like, let's just do it. I didn't like it because this is what the listening side says. You speak, I listen. I was like, I don't like that. Because if this person have conflict, they need to hear my side too. Then it says something along the lines of make sure this person feels heard. I was like, no. They need to hear me. I got issues too with this person. They need to hear me. Validate their emotions. No, because if I'm honest, I want to punch their emotions. I don't like it. All in Jesus' name, of course. But I don't like it. Then it says, to make sure that they're validated, repeat what you have heard them say because it puts you on their level. That began to change. And it says, when that person's feel completely heard, you to take that sandwich thing and rotate it. And now you get to speak. And they're in the listening posture. And then in the speaking, it's got some rules on how to actually speak in the conflict. And here are some rules. No distractions. It was turn off the TV, get the phone away. There should be no distractions when you're in conflict and the person needs to speak. No dismissing. No correcting. No debate until both hearts have been heard. No always or never. Come on. That's got to sit into someone today. You always, they don't always. They may a lot, but not always. Well, you never never will you never do the dishes you're telling me in your 34 years of marriage they've never done the dishes it's probably an extreme so stay away from those two words always and never no attacking and no name calling when it's your turn to talk and this dumb activity that I had to do in seminary I understood why my professor made us do it. Because it was learning to listen like Jesus 
and speak like Jesus. And this is what I will say. To learn for us as Christians, to learn how to handle conflict is to truly spiritually change. 2 Corinthians 3. Where'd it go? Right here. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom. You don't have to talk like salt water anymore. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And are being what? Come on. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That is from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's what it requires. If you and I are going to handle healthy conflict and be emotionally healthy and holy in all of our relationships where we live, work, and play, we need this power of Holy Spirit to do a work inside us and transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And He can. We can't do it alone. We can. So church family, we please stand. Will you just close your eyes for just a moment? And just think about maybe perhaps a conflict you're currently in right now. You know their face. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your boss or coworker you're gonna see tomorrow. you know that person that has a little bit of tension there and now that you see him you've got that image hear these words rain came wind blew but Jesus my house is built on you it feels like there's a storm there's a storm in this relationship but I'm going to make it through my foundation is in you, Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.